This is exactly right. to a fully lit audience. Oh. Just every every single face, every smiling face that we can see, except for that one over there that's not that cool. <laughs> Couple grumps in the audience tonight. They <laughs> thought the symphony was playing. <laughs> Season ticket holders, look <laughs> out. You're not gonna like it. Uh, you're not. You're not gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> Does everyone have their lid on their drink? Tight. Careful. Don't. Please don't. be careful. Yeah. Mrs. Davies will be so pissed. Well. If you spill your drinks all over her precious, precious symphony hall. <laughs> <laughs> this is so exciting to be here. I don't think they've had anyone like us before here. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I actually think that they had a podcast festival here last spring. <laughs> No, they don't know what podcasts are. I'm sure. The, usually, we go when we play at these like uh, you know venues that have bands and stuff. There'll be like all these signatures on the wall and Sharpie, and every, nobody cares. It's graffiti time. Everyone, <laughs> you know, there's like a Long Island Medium graffiti. Yeah, and, sure, we had that one time. Uh huh. And all That's these bands, cool. and this time it's like really lovely framed signed photos, black and white, of people with their really expensive instruments and yeah. their years and years and decades of training. <laughs> Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Training. Training. Never yes. got to go to birthday parties. No. Never got to go ice skating. Yeah. Violin. 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 That's right. And then there's us. <laughs> but I did train for over a year and a half at the Gap up on Market, <laughs> and that was crazy. Ugh, just the folding and yeah. the folding and the repetitive folding. I am um, two blocks away. I feel like this is one of those. We have these moments often with this podcast of that, like, <laughs> can you believe we, and now we're, it's like that thing. And this is definitely one of them because I worked two blocks away waiting tables in like <gasps> 2006, sometimes washing dishes when it got crazy and someone didn't show up too. <laughs> and a lot of the people who I would wait on, it was like a nice restaurant. And so a lot of them were really rich, stuffy old people who were going to come to the symphony after. Yes, that's right. And so I better hurry the fuck up. Yeah. That's and right. serve them their fucking food. Get them their gin ricky right now. Right. And, and a grasshopper. Right. Drinks you've never heard of. Exactly. They, I, all, they all wanted aspic for some reason. We don't have that here. It's not that kind of restaurant. Well, I demand beef aspic. 
and I'd have to go make it. Yeah. You just I was also the chef now. What kind of job did you take? In this story, I'm also the chef. I love this story. What kind of restaurant was it? Like, what kind of food? It was like modern American cuisine. It was really fancy. It was really good. So, like, just a ton of rosemary on everything? Everything had rosemary. <laughs> there were foams, you know, flavored foams. Foams? Oh, yeah, that's all the rage. Just, like, you squirt out some, some like, lime foam, and you're like, there you go, yeah, dinner. Yeah, it would be, like, some foam that's supposed to taste like a thing that you could have just, like, mushroom foam, so you could have just put mushrooms on it, but instead you spent 18, you know, hours making a foam that tastes <laughs> like mushrooms. Sorry, is it, like, mushrooms blended into shaving cream uh-huh. type of thing? That's exactly right. Unscented shaving cream uh, with, <laughs> with... An umami. And there's, like, an idea of umami, you know, like a, you have like a childhood memory of umami in the food. <laughs> that yeah and it only cost 48 dollars for the plate well then sign us all up right Give foam, us foam. I, I swear to god when she said foam i was like oh, i can't hear what she's saying there's something <laughs> something is wrong with the stage monitors it sounds like foam anyway go ahead this is i understand <laughs> i never waited tables i just once i worked at the gap i was like i'm done with working this is bullshit <laughs> no way it never suited me. Never suited me. I went straight to comedy. The lazy man's career. <laughs> Just like, I'm going to not work all day and then suffer terribly for 15 minutes every night and see where it gets me. Apparently, it gets you to the fucking city. Hello! Hey! <laughs> that's my new... That's my new program at the DeVry University. I'm just going to be like, so you go get a job at the Gap. Yeah. Gap, comedy, comedy, symphony. Symphony. And then, you know, whatever you want. You can fill in the blank. (laughs) Success. Success. Um, A lot of Kilgariffs here tonight, including Karen's father. That's right. Nice. Yes. You can't. Where are you looking? Yeah, you guys are all looking around. <laughs> They're all looking around. <laughs> Whatever you're yelling, stop doing that. <laughs> We're at the Davies fucking Symphony Hall. Class. For Christ's sake. Be fucking classy already. Fucking be classy. Also, we can't understand anything you say anyway. Yeah. Um, Neither can her dad. Can't no, hear us, probably. He <laughs> That's why all the F's and the S's are flying so freely. It's because he doesn't. He can't hear it. Um, yes, my father is a, a retired San Francisco fireman. He dedicated his life. I'm gonna really, I'm gonna really milk this. He hates shit like this Do so it. much. He dedicated, he risked his life for this city on a daily basis. For every one of you. For every, <laughs> before you were born, for your parents, your parents' parents. He's very old. All throughout the 70s, the man put his life on the line, uh, maybe 20 minutes a day, much like me. And then he also, they made some really nice dinners for each other, and they watched movies. And that's where we found out that um, they said, aw. They all, you know that if you've ever, I'm sure many of you are related to San Francisco firemen or you know one or two, they're amazing cooks because they have to be because the peer pressure is so bad. If you make a shitty, shitty dinner, they'll beat you up. Like it, wow. just, it will not fly. Wow, I didn't know um, there's so much aggression going on in a fire well, fighting world. Well, you know world. how they are with the steroids. So... <laughs> 
accusations flying. I love it. <laughs> he can't answer. I have a mic. And he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, he was a terrible steroid user for a lot of my life. <laughs> but hilarious. here's the thing that would happen. At the firehouse... They had cable television, of course, because they're all adults and they want to enjoy themselves. And that's why we never got it. We lived out in the country in Petaluma, five miles out of town, where there was... Sure. They're all here. Everybody cheers for Petaluma now. (laughs) No, 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 I'm not asking you to. I'm accusing you of being hypocrites. Because I remember a time when everybody laughed at Petaluma. Um, But... Because my dad had cable in the firehouse, when we, who got three channels, KTVU, mm-hmm. and then, right, there's only one, two, and <laughs> love it. two other ones, like 10 and five or whatever, no, five and eight, um, so we'd be like, dad, can we please get cable? And he'd be like, nah, you don't need it. We have it in the firehouse. It's no good. <laughs> so tonight, we're, instead of doing the murders, we're just going to all watch cable TV Yay. together. We're going to watch Cinemax. Yeah. Um, there's someone in the audience. For, I mean, this might be the first time ever that I have punched before. What? This is just a night of stars. It's a cavalcade <laughs> of audience stars. My, uh, I have two cousins here and their lovely wives who got the fuck out of L.A. So smart of them. <laughs> What's up, guys? And they fucking latered here. Love it here. Yes. And one of my cousins when I was a kid, Mitch, I'm fucking... I'm talking to you. <laughs> See you. Ooh, she's naming names. <laughs> Mitchy, goddamn so it. It's hilarious to watch everyone turn around <laughs> and try to figure out who they are. <sighs> Mitchy was a hellion, a Vildechai, we say in Hebrew. Oh, really? Yeah, in Yiddish. Uh, Vild- Vildechai? Vildechai. It's like Vildechai. a wild person. Wow. And he was he, he, I do love him because once he held my brother down and farted on his face. So. <laughs> Mitch! And my brother was a dick and deserved it. <laughs> but once he, uh, like at a Hanukkah party, he locked me in there. Uh, you know, I was probably being the most obnoxious, annoying child ever. We don't know. I was. <laughs> but he locked me in the shower, like the, um, what's it called? You know, the sliding glass shower. And so I was so angry and screaming. And when it opened, I just punched. <laughs> oh, wait, I just realized I punched your dad, not you. <laughs> what? <laughs> I haven't punched you. <laughs> I you thought his, it was him. And his dad's like the sweetest man you've ever met. <laughs> Why'd he lock you in the shower then? He didn't. He, hun- he locked me in the shower and his dad opened the door. I punched <laughs> and hit my uncle right in the stomach. <laughs> oh. And he went straight to the hospital? Yeah. And, and he's that never, was he's your never favorite murder? Me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is my favorite murder, by the way. The, the, the true crime Thank comedy you. podcast. This is Karen Kilgariff. Hello. This is Georgia Hartstark. This is a symphony. We're very, very proud to be here with you. Yeah. My dad, when my dad got here, he goes, are they going to fill these seats up too? <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't know how it's going to work. I really don't. Um, Steven's not here tonight. Oh yeah, no Steven. No Steven, sorry. He's home with my cats. <laughs> my cats are watching Steven. <laughs> Thankfully, otherwise, man, he would just go crazy. He can just touch all the forks and stuff. <laughs> you know, Steven with the mustache and the weird behavior. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Should we? Should you talk about your dress? Oh, a bit? I guess. Yeah. I could. Thank you. 
Thank you. It's literally ripping off my body. It's the best. This weekend. Did you bring a Kleenex out with you? I did bring a Kleenex out with me because, look at, <clears throat> I made a, a pocket on my dress. <laughs> See, when life gives you lemons, shove Kleenex into your dress. That's the old saying. You know. What about you? Tell about your dress. Oh, well, all I have to say is it has pockets. Good luck, player. Oh, no. Oh, shit. I guess, baby. She's turned into a mime. <laughs> oh, the space work is going to be off the chain tonight uh-huh. at Davies Symphony Hall. Uh-huh. We were like, I just need a place where I can act out some scenes <laughs> and do some large gestures and uh-huh. really be understood. And they were like, we got a place for you, Davies Hall. It's going to be right. amazing. But I want to see everyone's face in the audience while I do it. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I just want to see the disappointment on everyone's face. <laughs> Does this symphony play to a completely lit audience? It's so weird. I don't know. how smart people do shit. Maybe they want to. Maybe rich people like looking at each other a bunch while they perform. It seems weird. Like, I know that sweater costs $500. Like, shit like that. Like, oh, please, that's last season Armani. Anyway, do, 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 What's that? Vivaldi. What's that instrument you're playing? Do, 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 do. Mozart. You've heard it. You know it. We know it. It's your favorite song. Easy. When I was in elementary school, you had to like get like learn an instrument they did a whole you know thing music yeah yeah yeah. you had to pick something and all the like pretty little girls picked the flute and the violin and all these like lovely things and I I was like a nerd already and like wasn't doing great for myself (laughs) it's just kind of awkward and for some reason I I just wanted to double down on it sure I picked the cello yeah (laughs) and so it's just like I god I have a photo somewhere of just this like tiny little thing I was so little yeah. and I was just like cello this will get me popular <laughs> it didn't work shocking have you and I ever talked about the time I lost a cello <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so okay because along the very same line of thinking uh-huh. when I was in college um I'd, I'd never learned how to play an instrument formally, oh, yeah. and so uh, I was in the theater department, and there was a girl, Stephanie, who was also in the theater department with me. Stephanie. Stephanie was a stage manager, okay. and she always used the word precarious. Please be careful of this area of the stage. It's very precarious. And you're just like, I am going to look that up when I get home. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about it tomorrow. You sound smart. And she also played the cello. And so I told her at one point, I was like, I've always wanted to play the cello. I don't even know if that was true. I may have been drunk. Um, (laughs) And she was like, I'd love to give you cello lessons. And so she goes, you should use my practice cello. And then we'll meet. I think I had one lesson with her. And then timing wise, oh, wait, Patty Riley, are you here? (laughs) Are you? Yes. Maybe. So you, I mean, okay, hi. Why are you way up there? You're my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you bought your own tickets. Um, (laughs) Damn, Karen, the truth comes out. The truth comes out. She's my closest friend. I was like, sorry, you're on your own. So... Patty Riley and I lived together in this very depressing apartment in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> depressing apartment! Depressing! 
I have one cello lesson with Stephanie, and then I take the cello and I put it in this hallway closet. And then we move out from that super depressing apartment. Yep. And we clean everything up, and we have one day left, and we leave a couple bags of garbage in the kitchen. And then we're like, okay, tomorrow we're going to take that, we're going to dump it, I'm going to take the cello, we'll move everything else uh, to the eventually the haunted house that we Mm -hmm. moved into, Mm -hmm. which is the next house. Mm -hmm. That's a different podcast. I'll tell you later. We go back the next day to dump the garbage. The cello is gone. No. It's just gone. And... Ghost? A ghost (laughs) cello player stole it? Garbage ghost? (laughs) I don't know what happened. And when we went to, like, pay our final thing and talk to the person that worked there, the the person was just like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know. There's no such thing as cellos. There's no such thing as anybody going into your apartment a day early to clean it out and just taking what was there, (laughs) uh, which is what I wanted to accuse the person of, but I was 19, and I'd already had three Keystone lights that day, so I didn't really... I wasn't the best advocate for myself at the moment. Fair, sure. So then she would call me over the summer and just be like, hey, can I get my cello back? And I'd be like, I am away. (laughs) And I just kept making these weird excuses, and finally she goes... Did something happen with the cello? I'm honestly like over three months. Mm-hmm. I, I put her off and then she was like, what's going on? And I'm like, look. And this, meanwhile, cellos haunted me all through Sacramento. I'm not kidding. One day we walked into the mall and there was a mannequin in like that front window for Nordstrom and the mannequin was playing what? a cello. That sounds like a dream. Patty Riley was just like, oh my God, this is crazy. This is over the top. It's and playing like, somebody. <laughs> so finally I said, I'll pay you. Yeah. I had zero dollars and 11 cents. <laughs> Plenty of money to buy beer somehow, miraculously. Um, well, beer money is different than money money. Right. And then uh, the whole thing was just kind of unresolved. Should we stand? (laughs) (laughs) Never paid her, never talked about it. Stephanie, I miss you. (laughs) Let's sit down. It's sit down time. Thank you. How much do you think a practice cello is worth? Like eight hundred dollars? I don't know. In today's money, <gasps> fifteen thousand. Fifteen million dollars. Those expensive cellos. I'm gonna get the <laughs> tissue out of my dress. Yeah, you'll need it. And put it here. Perfect. Here. I need tiny waters, please. Very small. Oop. No label. We're endorsed. What if we had to put a lid on it? By Big Water. Yeah. Mine was open. It could be drugged. Yay. Um. <laughs> so crazy. <sighs> so we don't have. Oh, this is a true crime comedy podcast. Right, with, yeah, we told you. Oh, we like to do. This is a light disclaimer that we like to do at the beginning. Most of you are here because you listen to the podcast. Thank you so much. Or you're related to us and you were forced to be here. That's right. Or you're a drag along, which is someone uh, you are married or in partnership with someone who listens. You do not listen. You do not care. You don't understand. But you got a really nice you dinner. You got a nice dinner out of it. And you're like, it can't be that bad. It's what, a murder mystery show? Right. It can't be that bad. It, it'll be fine. But still, just total and utter confusion. Yeah. Um, I like NPR s- podcasts. Maybe I'll <laughs> like this one. No, you won't. I don't know. I'm open-minded. I'll give it a try. No, you're not. But 
sometimes it's difficult for people because true crime, uh, these are sto horrible stories of human loss. Mm -hmm. And they're, it's stories about the worst of humankind. And so it's very uh, awful oftentimes. It's very upsetting. It's depressing. But then simultaneously, um, parallel to that, George and I, the way we talk to each other, uh, is comedic. And we can be jokey and lighthearted to each other conversationally while we talk about those things. Not about those things mm -hmm. necessarily, mm -hmm. but kind of during. And so that can be a very complex combination for some people. <laughs> it can be a challenging and maybe sometimes offensive combination <laughs> uh -huh. to some people. And so to those people, we just sincerely want to say, get the fuck out right now, please. <laughs> Truly. Take a nice nap. That's fine, too. If you want to conk out for about 90 minutes, great. Just overall, we don't, we don't want to hear about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, you want to go first? I think I'm going first. Okay. Yeah. Based on last night. Based on the past we've lived. Sometimes we try to change it for the recordings you guys have heard, but then we're like, but we also yeah. exist right. in this world. Do we? I mean, mm -hmm. are we? This is a dream. Are you sleep Wait. are you asleep at Gap right the Gap right now? <laughs> and this is all a dream. I folded down a sweater wall and I fell asleep on the ground as I was often want to do. Exactly. I knew I'd never be a pace setter. <laughs> That's why I didn't try. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. 
I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye. Okay. The story I'm going to do tonight is the phosphorescent bride of Dr. J. Milton Bowers. <gasps> What's that? <laughs> Spooky Halloween. Spooky Halloween. <laughs> Patty Riley got a card once that said Spooky Halloween. And so then that's all we would say in the holiday season is Spooky Spooky Halloween. Halloween. Love it. And now it's ours. Yes. Sorry, Patty. We steal everything from all of our friends. Okay, so there is a series in the Chronicle, um, at least there was in 2015, I don't know if he's still doing it now, by a writer named Gary Camia, and it was called Portals of the Past. And basically he would go in and find these really cool historical stories, um, things that happened in San Francisco, you know, 100 years ago or, you know, 15 years ago, and basically just do these features on it. Um, And it's a treasure trove of good stories. (laughs) If, uh, If Seriously, if you're ever looking for a murder, Shit. Um, it's, it's really good. Stephen, mark this, please. Um, copy and post this entire conversation and then email it to us mm-hmm. later. Um, so thank you, Gary Camia, because basically I found this story because of the uh, this article that he wrote about it. But then there's also a very... I'm, I didn't see what year the book was published. Um, it feels like the way it was written, that it was like 1900. Mm-hmm. Um, it was by... Or could have been this week. Um, <laughs> it's a book called Celebrated Criminal Cases in America, and it's by a man named Thomas Duke. And so he also, uh, it seemed like it was much more closer to the event, because so mm-hmm. there, there was tons more detail, but it was a whole book. No, Gary, I'm not shitting on you. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> we start in July of 1885. Ooh, that's a long time ago. Right. <laughs> and over a hundred years ago. Okay. Okay. Spooky Halloween. Okay. Spooky. The Arcade House at 930 Market Street is the home and office of one Dr. J. Milton Bowers. Today it's that Payless shoe source that's right by the cable car turnaround. Same spot. Okay. We're all there. Everybody's like, I can see it in my mind's eye. Payless. But it's not the same building as the Payless shoe source. It's now it's all weird and triangular and modern. Are I you don't... saying Payless is haunted? Yes. Cool. It's haunted with great prices, everybody. Oh Get my on God. down. Truly. Horrifying. Okay. <laughs> 
29-year-old Cecilia Bowers isn't feeling well. As the weeks pass, she just gets worse and worse. She's in terrible pain. Her body starts to swell, and her face starts to swell all over, and she starts having convulsions. And even though her husband is a doctor, as she gets sick, sicker, her, her mother shows up and insists that other doctors be brought in to see her. They uh, believe that she has an abscessed liver, um, but all the medicine that they're treating her with isn't working. Because it's 18 whatever and it's cocaine. It's all cocaine. <laughs> it's just like... They just dissolve a bunch of cocaine in water and they're like, take three tinctures of this yeah. every 20. Why isn't she getting better? We're yeah. giving her so much cocaine. She's just smoking and talking about opening a restaurant. <laughs> oh well. Those are the symptoms of having an abscessed liver. Just playing in a jam band. Whatever. Uh-huh. Okay. So two months after, on November 1st, 1885, she dies. The doctors claim there is nothing about Cecilia's death that appears to be suspicious, and it's reported that as um, at his wife's deathbed, um, Dr. J. Milton Bowers gives every appearance of grief and despair. Mm -hmm. I love when people get credit for just doing the absolute bare minimum (laughs) human response. What a champion. He seems sad that his incredibly young wife died. What a saint. Okay. So let's talk about Dr. J. Milton Bowers. First of all, I feel like that name tells you everything. If you, if someone has an initial first, Mm -hmm. they're a dick. (laughs) It's 85% of the time. 85% of the time. No one here. But. Of course not hard and fast. There's always margin for error. Do you think it's because like, like they're trying to make people curious about what the, like, we don't care. Oh, what's the J stand for? And it's like, well, just change your name to J then. Right. Right. Or maybe, yeah, they're lonely and they're just trying to start, break the ice. Sure. Like, well, um, my name is J Milton Mowers. If you want to ask me about that, I don't know. (laughs) That must pique your curiosity, right? Right. The J stands for just so boring. (laughs) So, anytime a married lady dies, we know the husband did it. So, let's take a look at 45-year-old Dr. J. Milton Bowers. He's a moderately successful, uh, and they call him rather nondescript doctor, with, quote, no known vices, Mm -hmm. which you can translate into a shit ton of unknown vices. (laughs) Uh-huh. He's right. good at hiding his shit. Yes, basically. exactly. As they were, I mean, everybody was back then. No social media. Yeah. Um, 1800s, Pele Shoes Source. He right. was born in Baltimore in 1843 at the age of 16. He travels to Berlin to study medicine, quote, but not as a matriculated student. What does that so mean? He just like freelance <laughs> went to Germany to be a doctor just to like, just collect up information on his own around town. I have no idea what it means. The first, number one, give cocaine for everything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wrap wrap people's entire heads in bandages and send them on their way. Mm -hmm. Maybe it meant he audited all his classes and they were just like, sorry, you're going to have to take some tests if you want to be a doctor. And he's like, no, and get it all right up here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you worry about Jay Milty. (laughs) Okay. So 20 years later, in 1863, he comes on back to America to serve in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your service, you wife-murdering bastard. (laughs) Um, I don't know if he was a doctor in the Civil War. I don't know what he served as. He was undescript in the Civil War. (laughs) That's right. 
just kind of a vague guy standing on the side, mm-hmm. playing the banjo. <laughs> so two years after that, he settles in Chicago and he marries a gal by the name of Miss Fanny Hammett. <laughs> no one's named Fanny no. anymore. No. No. They live and love together, I wrote that, in wedded bliss. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh-huh. For eight years. Then in 1873, Fanny dies mysteriously. Oh, my oh, God. That's so sad for Jay Miltz. Now, it is 1873, and so you have to remember this is back when you can die of like a small cut on your finger <laughs> or inhaling or any number of things like that. Mm-hmm. Everyone, truly, I looked it up, um, the life expectancy was 40 years old. Great. So Let's get those 40 years. People <laughs> that sucks. Were, right? Your, people lived large back then because yeah. they were like, I, guys, I'm on a clock. <laughs> um, as we all are. Anyhow... <laughs> Oh, I saw. I recently saw a post on Twitter. Mm-hmm. There's a Twitter account called 41 Strange that's very cool, and they just posted this thing. Apparently, in the Victorian era, they used to dye dresses. Um, if they were, if it was a green dress, they used dye that was arsenic based. Cool. And so, if you bought a green dress and wore it around, you were slowly being uh, poisoned with arsenic. Man, they just loved doing stupid shit back then. Yeah, yeah, they did. Truly. They were just like, can someone invent bleach? We'd love to fold that into our everyday. So uh, that's just painting a picture of the kind of danger that's all around. Directly after J. Milton Bauer's beloved wife, Fanny, dies, he moves to New York City and immediately marries a beautiful young actress named Teresa Shirk. Um, how did they meet? Oh, he, she was his patient uh, in Chicago. Uh-huh. We suspect a bit of overlapping there. Uh-uh. Um, a year later, uh, Milty's in poor health, so they decide they're going to, uh, as it said in the article, take a steamer to San Francisco, which then I picture a boat just going straight <laughs> through the Midwest, just the hugest boat just digging through the dirt yeah. on, the, on the plains. In our cartoon version of this, right? it's just like... <sighs> just buffalo chewing and yeah. looking like, oh what my God, fuck? we have to get these things out of here. <laughs> we should not let them <laughs> drive. I've boats through. <laughs> They're here. ruining this country. <laughs> uh, so they steamed over, <laughs> set up shop in San Fran. Uh-huh. I'm trying to find my place. And <laughs> seven years later, the second Mrs. Bowers dies mysteriously no. at the Palace Hotel. Dude, stopping so obvious. I mean, without murdering all your wives. He didn't have to be. He was just, yeah. you know. Yeah. He was doing it up. Also, he was a doctor. Everyone trusts a doctor. He was a doctor. Oh, my God. Um, I bet he was also tall is one oh. of those things where they're just like, oh, he's got it. No, whatever yeah. he says is what, exactly what happened. <laughs> Probably had a monocle with the J. You know, he had some man yeah. accessory that was like, well, let's see. I didn't murder her. And everyone's like, great. <laughs> Write it down. Record it as law. What I kind of like, though, she dies at the Palace Hotel, which is, it's a, you know, it's a San Francisco landmark, a very beautiful place. You go there for high tea and what have you. My grandmother, my grandma Grace, that was her standard of living. So, like, when we were little, me and my sister were little, if you were doing something, like, if you ate your food with your hands or something, she'd look over and go, 
You wouldn't get away with that at the Palace Hotel. Really? Yes, constantly. I love that. That's what it always was, where it was like, your, if your clothes were kind of sloppy, she'd be like, oh, you couldn't wear that to the Palace Hotel. <laughs> Every, we were always aiming for the Palace Hotel. <laughs> we should have stayed there. Oh, I, could, I couldn't. I couldn't deal with it. They wouldn't let us in anyway. <laughs> Truly. I just sit in my room combing my hair over and over. <laughs> we gotta make it. The ghost of your grandma comes in just to scowl at you and be like, Karen. Honey. Honey. She was great. She was the, she was the one, she was a flapper in the 20s, oh, wow. so she had all these sayings that didn't make sense. <laughs> so if you were like, walk by her, and you, you were wearing a red shirt, she'd go, mm, red attracts. But it's like, I'm five. I'm five. She's like, yeah, that's how old you were to be married back Get then. Ready. Get, get that get man. Together. Land that man, girl. Also, she'd go, yella, yella, catch a fella. And be like, wow. what is this about? <laughs> and she never drove. And if you, if like somebody asked her, oh, you know, do you drive? She'd go, I couldn't drive a nail. She had like, it was like she had a <laughs> script. She just had scripted lines all the time. And she used to... When uh, my dad would make her a drink, my dad would go, Grace, would you like a, uh, what would you like to drink? And she'd go, I'll have a highball, make it light. <laughs> you, you can't make a highball light. It's two different spirits mixed together. It's, no, it's impossible Truly, to do. Truly, this, this is what I'm striving to be one day. <laughs> you can. You can. In a house, in a vintage house dress. Yes. Oh my God, amazing. Get really good at playing old maid. She'd play old maid <laughs> with you and just pull the old maid all the way up and let, and go, it's your turn. And then you, <laughs> you could just pick it and win. It was the best. Aww. Oh wait, I just realized she didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> Shoot. Oh my God. All right, I'll work that out in therapy next week. It's fine, it's fine. We're talking about the death of J. Milton Bauer's second wife. <laughs> Mysterious. Yes. Sad. And at the Palace Hotel. So sad. Here we are. <laughs> she dies and my grandma leans in. Oh, this wouldn't make it at the Palace Hotel. Oh, we're here. Oh. <laughs> I guess I was my wrong. Bad. Wrong that time. Excuse me. <laughs> Doesn't apply to everything. So on July 18th, 1881, six months after his second wife dies mysteriously, Dr. Bowers marries his third wife, Cecilia ben Hayon. She's the one who was dying at the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. So oh, it all comes around. Yeah, we're coming back around. Cool. So she herself had been married once before to a man named Sylvian Levy. They had a, a daughter named Tilly, but um, they got divorced. Um, didn't say what the circumstances were, but it did, quote, cause her to earn an unenviable reputation. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Slut. <laughs> um, so, so when old Jay Milton rolls up, uh, dressed like the Monopoly man, which is what I have, <laughs> the picture I have in my mind, mm -hmm. she's like, thank God, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. So, one moment, please. <laughs> um... Okay, so in public, Jay Milton Bowers seems to be the perfect husband. He's doting. He is very, very attentive. Um, but it turns out that at home, he was actually a brutal wife beater <gasps> and a total asshole, as you are not surprised to hear. Oh, no. Um, in fact, when Cecilia's mother heard that she um, was, her daughter was going to be, to marry him, that she was engaged and going to marry him, uh, she actually told Cecilia she forbade the marriage. And of course, then Cecilia, you know how she is. 
this, she was like, too bad, see you later. And she cuts herself off from her family. Don't do that. And goes and marries the old, the old doctor. Shit. So... What, she doesn't see her. She hasn't seen her mother for um, a long time. I don't know exactly how long. So I just thought I'd cover it with a very generalized uh, <laughs> representation of time. Mm-hmm. A long time. Just picture calendar months falling off the calendar. Mm-hmm. January, February. Oh, my family. But then when she gets really sick and she starts swelling and, and having convulsions, her mother shows up, of course. Oh, and she was the one that's like, get this fucking husband doctor out of here. Yeah, Let's she's get like, some real fucking doctor. You've done enough. Yeah. Thank you, Milton. He's like, it's Jay Milton. Um, <laughs> when her mother gets there, uh, Cecilia is so swollen cheat that her mother doesn't recognize Shit. her. It's so, she's so, um, looks so bad. And the mother says to, to Dr. Bowers, she's clearly dying. Like, what, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And he was like, oh, no, she's actually on the mend. Uh, I planned a trip to the country for her next weekend. Uh-huh. Swelling is a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know that now because it's modern times. That when you swell, yeah. you're, you're on the mend. Yeah, you couldn't be healthier. Right. So I'm sure as he told her that story, the mother's like, okay, like freaking out and so scared of him. Um, but of course, the condition worsens. They bring in a Dr. Martin of Oakland. He suspects it's um, arsenic poison. It's, yes, he, he was there. Oakland in the 1880s, imagine. Just gorgeous fields. He says it's arsenic poison. Milty tells him, in fact, she's suffering from an abscess of the liver. Mm -hmm. And because he's a doctor, then the second doctor is like, oh, I guess the first doctor knows. So then he starts giving her medicine for what you would take for abscess of liver. Cocaine. Mm-hmm. And thank you for pointing at me. Uh, okay. <laughs> the face of cocaine. <laughs> um, but when uh, Dr. Martin brings the medicine, um, then Dr. Bowers takes it away mm-hmm. and it magically turns into arsenic. It's, and then comes out, and he's the only one that can actually administer it to her. So on the Sunday before Cecilia dies, her aunt and cousin come over to see her, but uh, soon after they get there, he rushes into the room yelling, Get out, I allow no one to see my wife, and throws them out of the house. So not suspicious in any way. And then, then they find out, the family finds out, that Cecilia has taken out a $17,000 life insurance policy on herself. As you do. What's that in today's money? You want to do a guess? 1.2 million. Uh, it's half a million. Damn it. But look, great try. Thank you. Um, <laughs> when her family tries to add a policy to benefit Cecilia's daughter, because they all know she's going to die, and they're like, well, at least she can be covered, um, of course, Milton refuses, because God forbid he do a decent human thing. So Cecilia Bowers, as we know, she died on November 1st, 1885. The very next day, a mysterious man goes to the coroner's office and announces that Cecilia Bowers just died at the arcade house, Palosia's source, and that there are suspicious circumstances and that her death should be looked into, and then he just leaves and disappears. No one knows who the man was. A ghost. A different article... It's a ghost this time? It's This time, I'm not kidding. This time, it's the warning ghost? Yeah. It's the, the Payless warning ghost. <laughs> you know. The purses, they're on sale. <laughs> 
Uh, I also read in a, a different article that the coroner actually received an anonymous letter, but I think it's way better mm-hmm. that like a guy runs into the coroner's office mm-hmm. like, attention everybody, mm-hmm. there's suspicious circumstances. Well, that hasn't been suspicious just the circumstances around here for 25 <laughs> for years. years. And then the man goes up and smokes. <laughs> <laughs> so... The coroner's name is Dr. C.C. O'Donnell. Now I feel bad because apparently everybody has a goddamn initial before their name. (laughs) He heads over to the arcade house. He finds Dr. Bowers sitting in the room with Cecilia's dead body. Uh, He explains that he is there to look into the death, that he's had a report that it's a suspicious death. And Dr. Bowers says to him, uh, well, her funeral's tomorrow, and I'm not going to let your investigation interfere with the services. Great. So he's like... But you have to. It's, I'm the coroner. Yeah. I don't know if that happened. But <laughs> what happens is Dr. Bowers buries his wife without the coroner getting to do it. So then the coroner has to go and get the body exhumed. Shit. He's like, I'm doing the autopsy, friend. Yeah. <laughs> so then on November 10th, 1885, the Chronicle reports that when the autopsy is performed, there is no abscess on her liver, Mm-mm. but there is a smell of phosphorus coming from her internal organs. So they put her stomach into a jar and then they take the jar into a dark room and her stomach is glowing in the dark. (gasps) What if all the lights went out right now? (laughs) (laughs) And then a stomach rose from under the stage. Avenge my death. Oh my God. That's so creepy. It's so good. Bad. It's horrible. So they conclude that Cecilia Bowers has died of phosphorus poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, yeah. Or that her stomach's haunted. Right. Um, or likes to go to raves. Something. <laughs> uh, So Dr. J. Milton Bowers is arrested and charged with murder. His trial begins in April of 1886, and the prosecutor says at the beginning uh, that he will prove that the nurse who was brought in to tend to Mrs. Bowers was actually colluding with Dr. Bowers and helping him poison her, and that their maid, Teresa Farrell, was also in on the act and lying for the doctor and covering for the doctor. Are they all boning or something? I mean, I hate to think of a late 80s group sex situation. Oh, yeah. So many undergarments to get through. It would take hours and hours. So Dr. Bowers it maintains his innocence throughout. He explains to the court that um, he's a doctor. <laughs> and any doctor knows that there's so many other poisons that you can poison your wife with besides phosphorus that aren't tr- traceable, so why in the hell would he, yeah. he use phosphorus? For example, my other two wives yeah, before exa- this. You might want to check them, and then we can name those poisons. Um, he also says he didn't need the insurance money, so he has no motive, and you're all fools, fools, I say. And then he threw his monocle down <laughs> on the ground, stepped on it, crushed it, just walked away. Cool. Uh, <laughs> that was all yeah. off the record. Um, <laughs> The prosecution tells the jury not only that Bowers is not the cool, calm professional he appears to be, he's a wife beater who boasted about his extramarital affairs to his wife, Mm. and when she threatened to divorce him, he told her that no woman could divorce him because he was a doctor and he had ways of getting rid of her. Great. Uh, He also claims that Dr. Bowers was planning on marrying a woman from San Jose and that she was already...
to court reporting school there for Did a you? minute. Yeah. Did you love it so much? I loved it so much that I moved to Los Angeles shortly after. <laughs> That's really saying something, San Jose, because Los Angeles sucks. Okay. They say that the proof that he was planning to marry this woman in San Jose is that she was already preparing her trousseau. I didn't look it up. Um, Undergarments. I I pictured it as a huge headdress for some reason. Yeah. But my trousseau is almost ready. Don't tell me my husband's a murderer. I can't wait to play that character in the film. He also told the jury that Dr. Bowers had done this before uh, when he began courting Cecilia Bowers before his second wife was even dead. Um, And Bowers was ardently defended by that nurse, Mrs. Sezigning, and his maid, Teresa Farrell, the beautiful young maid, Teresa Farrell. Okay, so the trial lasts six weeks. It's the longest murder trial in San Francisco to date. Not today's date, the 1880s date. To, to, the, to that date. Uh-huh. The jury deliberates for 35 minutes. Great. And then they come back with a, uh, uh, you know, verdict. Thank you, a verdict of first degree, guilty of first degree murder. <laughs> There's literally no word there. Um, thank you. It's haunted. <laughs> oh my God, someone stole my word. It's a ghost word. <laughs> Weird. It's the stomach taking the word verdict away. So he's sentenced to hang, although the judge was barely able to pronounce the sentence because he repeatedly broke into uncontrollable sobs. What? I don't know. Is he okay? He's not okay. Oh, man. He was just like... Having a bad day? He was just really sad about having a guy hung, I guess. Okay. I, right, I looked it up. I can't find any information. I think this is pre-Prozac when like <laughs> judges just used to start crying. He's like, Sorry, it's about something else. <laughs> just hold on one second. Sorry, hold on. <laughs> this doctor. <laughs> Can you imagine everyone's like, take that wig off. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Okay. So Dr. Bowers is sent to jail at the jail at Broadway and Kearney <laughs> to await execution. Oh, sure. We know that one. Right? Right, right next to the Palace Hotel. No, it's not. <laughs> um, okay. So here's the twist. Okay. Ooh, there's a twist. Yeah. There's more of a twist. Okay. A year and a half after Dr. Bowers is convicted uh, in October of 1887, a young man goes to a boarding house at 22 Geary Street and asks about renting a room. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's shown several rooms by the woman who owns the house, but he only likes room 21. And she says, it's not available. It'll be available Saturday. And so he's like, sounds great. And he leaves. So then the next day, another young man shows up at that boarding house Uh saying he heard room 21 would be available. And uh, can he rent it? And so she says, sure, fuck that other guy. And (laughs) he pays $5 deposit and he's given a key. And then a few days after that, a servant enters room 21 and finds the dead body of a young man. But it's not the guy that rented room 21, Uh and it's not the guy who asked about room 21. Uh It's Cecilia Bowers' 27-year-old brother, Henry Ben Hayon. 
So the dead, the phosphorus stomach's brother. Brother. Person's brother is dead. Dead in now this. 21. Yes. Got in it. room 21. Okay. They find him laid on top of the bed sheets. The, the bed clothes are not must in any way. Mm-hmm. There's a flask of whiskey next to him, a bottle of cyanide, and three letters. One's written to the coroner, one's written to the press, and one is written to Dr. J. Milton Bowers. Uh-uh. They're all signed by him. It sounds like the beginning of one of those super irritating logic yeah. puzzles where you're so just like, who was the killer? I get it. The doctor is a woman, you sexist <laughs> pig. <laughs> I heard this already. But no, this really happened. So, in the coroner's letter uh, that supposedly Henry wrote, he confesses to murdering his own sister. He says he planned to poison Dr. Bowers, but then Cecilia found out about it and threatened to expose him. So then he was like, okay, I'll just poison you instead. Great. I say, why not both? But... (laughs) So now Dr. Bauer's attorneys are stoked and they're like, our guy's getting out of jail later days. Mm-hmm. And, but everybody else, the prosecutors, the press, everybody who's anybody in 1880 <laughs> San Francisco knows that somehow Dr. Bowers has engineered this whole thing to exonerate himself. Shit. Right? So... Uh, the people who knew Henry said he was a cheerful man, he did not drink, and he was not suicidal in any way. In mm-hmm. fact, he had just bought tickets to buy, um, to take his niece to the theater. Mm-hmm. So he obviously, the suicide was not a plan in any way. Um, also, the handwriting did not match his. Um, so they end up tracking down the mysterious young man who had rented room 21. And remember Teresa Farrell, the pretty young maid uh-huh. that was all, all up in everybody's business? Uh-huh. It's her brother, 33-year-old Thomas Dimmick. Dude. Right? Come on. <laughs> Come on, Thomas. Come on, don't be a dick. He's, <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> He's been a dick for 150 years. <laughs> He's arrested. He's charged with the murder of Henry Ben-Hayon. It turns out Thomas Dimmig is a straight-up dipshit. He's like, the detectives are, are like, is this an act? You're so stupid. It doesn't make sense. We can barely talk to you. Um, they're like actually kind of baffled by how dumb he is. Um, he tells police he rented room 21 because he has a book business and he was going to do his book business in a uh, rooming house room for uh, the weekend. Everyone knows you do book business in a, uh, in a different kind of room. Yeah. So that's stupid. The cops are like, come on. <laughs> we know. Maybe a more permanent room, like you an know. office or something. Yeah. Uh, the cops are like, dummy, you're lying. What, is, what are you doing? What did you do? And then he says, okay, I didn't want to tell you because I'm married, but I rented that room so I could have an affair uh-huh. with a woman from San Jose named Dimples. Uh, that's a dog. That's not a woman. <laughs> oh, Dimples. Little Dimples. Come to room Come 21. Here. Come to room 21. Oh, no. Come to room 21. Okay. They don't like bestiality humor. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> um, so, oh, later on I did find in, a, in the older and kind of um, more thorough uh, book mm-hmm. that, that it said in that book that her name was Timpkins, not, not Dimples. <laughs> but Dimples is so much better yeah. that I think we need to stick with that. So, when the case goes to trial, the prosecution shows that... Um, 
Thomas Deming had recently bought cyanide, that the flask found by Henry matched the one that he was known to carry, and that Henry had recently, out of the blue, gotten a writing job um, for a bookseller, even though he wasn't a good writer or smart. <laughs> and his own friend testified at this trial be, uh, saying, like, yeah, Henry told me he got a job writing, and I was super confused, and it seemed really suspicious, and I was upset. Um, <laughs> And it's the, it was theorized by the prosecution that this was how Dimmick got a sample of Henry's writing to uh, forge the letters oh. where he confessed oh. to the murder of his own sister. After all of that proof, the jury is hopelessly deadlocked, seven voting for acquittal, five for conviction. So Dimming returns to jail to await a new trial, and then the state Supreme Court grants Dr. Bowers a new trial... Hmm. And then Deming gets acquitted, uh -uh. and then eight months after that, in August of 1889, the DA dismisses the murder case against Dr. Bowers in the light of the outcome of the Deming case, saying it will be impossible now to get a conviction. Wait, what? So he, Dr. J. Milton Bowers, walks free from Fuck. jail. Yeah. And you know what that motherfucker does? He Mary. moves to San Jose. <laughs> Yeah, he does. Nuh -uh. And he marries a Miss Bird there. <laughs> Someone named Miss Bird. Uh, 19 years later, he dies in 1905. Miss Bird, right? Miss Bird remained alive. So apparently they had Fourth a... Fourth one's a charm. <laughs> as they always say. As they say yeah. in the uh, medical field. Um <laughs> And the last line of Gary Camia's article, he wrote, and so the mystery of the phosphorescent bride of Dr. Bowers will never be solved. Until tonight, he fucking did it. The end. And that's the story of Dr. J. Milton Bowers. Thank you. Thank you. Ow. And you know what? Ow. A special thank you to San Jose, California for being there for me. <laughs> Really Listen, took a hit on that one. It turns out we have a thing now that the more we talk shit on your city, the more likely we're going to bring Paul Holes there. <laughs> like we did for Sacramento yep. on Friday. Uh, sorry, he's not here. Yeah. Steven, he's at home with Steven taking care of the cat. <laughs> um, that was amazing. I've never heard that somehow. I know, it's insane. I'm going to need that website. Okay. Please. Okay. Dot com or dot gov? Dot gov. Got it. Dot <laughs> edu. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. 
What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. Let's escape from Alcatraz, everyone. Okay. Now, Steven screwed up, <laughs> didn't he? Yeah, he, <laughs> he did. He forgot that I called this one last week, then Karen called it on the other night, and he forgot and told her she could do it, and then texted me and was like, I told her she could do it, and then like <laughs> waited for me to go, okay, I'll do something else, and I was like, tell her she can't fucking do it. <laughs> it's only fair. It's only fair. Sadly, I was in the middle of watching the Clint Eastwood movie, Escape from Alcatraz, and I was just like, I kind of just wanted to talk through this movie to people. <laughs> But So please feel free to interject at any time with shit I'm leaving out. Okay. I'm forgetting because I didn't watch the film Escape from Alcatraz. <laughs> it was dra- a dramatized version. It, right. Yeah, so who knows? Let me give you, let's get a little bit of history okay. first. Sometime in 75, a, a Spanish explorer, n- n- something, something named this place, San Francisco <laughs> Bay. Yes. Isle de la Alcatraz, meaning Island of the Pelicans. Oh. Over time... Uh, the official name became Alcatraz, and then Pelican, <laughs> Alcatraz Pelican. So, in 1909, what was then of the fortress uh, became demolished. That had been there. A prison was built, and the prisoners had to fucking build it. What a bummer that yes. probably was. Yeah. Right? That's, yes. Like, no. lock me up. Don't. Like, right as they like put in the, the last brick. Oh, okay, get in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No dinner. They wall themselves in. Yeah. To the... <laughs> <laughs> Bricked up. Right. They're like, we don't want to make a <laughs> solitary confinement. No. Can we just have it be an open floor plan? <laughs> yeah. No. That's right. Um, an escape from Alcatraz was considered impossible, so uh, it, the U.S. government turned it into a federal penitentiary for, penitentiary for civilians. <laughs> 
convicts uh, that they thought was especially dangerous, of course. So, and normally the only exit routes were death or the infirmary. And they're like, pass and pass. (laughs) Or getting out, I guess. Getting released, I don't know. Were there fire exits? (laughs) (laughs) I doubt it. Um, So until its closing in 1963, there were only 14 escape attempts from 36 different prisoners. 23 were caught, six were shot dead, two drowned, and the remaining five are thought to have drowned, either in the bay or swept out to sea. Uh, But there's also, of course, the prison's most legendary escape made famous in the film that Clint Eastwood, the 1979 (laughs) film Escape from Alcohol. Alcatraz. Let's talk about that. And that's not the one we're going to talk about tonight. No, that's <laughs> true. What if it wasn't? <laughs> Just a big lead up. I want to talk to th- about this guy, Eric. Who <laughs> it really pisses me off. Right. So let's start with the escapees. Frank Lee Morris was born in Washington, D.C. in September 1926. He's abandoned by his mother and father during his childhood. He's an orphan by the time he's 11, spends most of his formative years in foster homes. He's convicted of his first crime at 13, and by his late teens, he'd been arrested for crimes ranging from narcotics possession to armed robbery. Wow. Super bummer. Uh, he spends, let's see, he spends most of his early years in jail serving lunch to prisoners. So he's like a lunch man. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. He had a love of food and mm-hmm. cuisine. And slop. And slop. Right. <laughs> and ladles. He just loved to ladle things. Love those ladles. God, I love beef stroganoff in a ladle. You take little sips from it. Sips from me, sips for you. That's right. Shiv. Okay. <laughs> and a shiv. And a shiv. Uh, as he got older, he got arrested for grand larceny in Miami Beach. He served time in Florida and Georgia, and then escaped. <laughs> That's right. And then he escaped from the Louisiana State Penitentiary while serving ten years for bank robbery. He was recaptured a year later while committing another burglary and sent to Alcatraz in 1960. This fucking dude, though, ranked in the top two percent of the general population in intelligence with an IQ of 133. Whoa. Yeah. Especially Frank. for that time. IQ 133 nowadays is... Oh, tra- that's 562. That's right. You don't want to be anywhere near those people. No, my God. He'll read your mind and steal your wallet. That's right. Shiv. And a shiv. Um, so, then there's Clarence and John Ang- Anglin, the Anglin brothers. <laughs> Anglin for a bruising? Uh, that's not a thing. No, it's fun. So Clarence was 33 and John was 32. They were born into a family of 13 children in right. Georgia. Sure. Too many children, in my <laughs> humble opinion. Uh, their parents were seasonal farm workers, and in the early 1940s, they moved the family to Ruskin, Florida, 20 miles south of Tampa. Um, bu- 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 okay. Every June, they'd go here and there. I don't know. It doesn't matter. You don't care about this family at all. It's kind of whatever. But the brothers were like inseparable. They all, they were a year apart, so they were always hanging out and shit. They were skilled swimmers, of course, and they would uh, be able to swim the freezing lakes of Lake Michigan as ice still floated in the surface. Okay. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. A great sign for those two. Right. Um, and I bet, like, back then, they were just these probably, like, muscle-bound, you know, jokers. I don't know. <laughs> they just sound... They sound fun. They were muscular, and they always loved to shake their finger yeah. in your face. We're criminals. So they, they were farmers and laborers. Clarence was first caught breaking into a service station when he was 14, and they began ro- robbing banks as a team in the early 1950s, usually places that were closed, and when they weren't closed, they'd use a toy gun because they didn't want to hurt anyone. Oh. Oh, I right? love when 
you can love the criminal. I know. Bank robbers. Fun. Cute. Um, Good swimmers. That's right. They probably had like, the, their pants went up to here and they yeah. had really uh, <laughs> tough, you know, muscular bodies. Yeah. They like to shadow box a lot. Right. Put them up. See? They smoked right until they went to sleep. <laughs> They claim they only used a weapon once, and it was a toy gun. They were arrested in 1958 after robbing a bank in Alabama, and both received 15 to 20-year sentences in Florida. Um, And then they had uh, several failed escape attempts, and so they were transferred to Alcatraz in 1960 and 61. So, then... Um, and they knew this, our friend Smarty Pants Frank from Atlanta. So they were all like buddies and shit. And they were like, oh my God, when they went, got to Alcatraz. <laughs> high, Hi, a high five. Yeah. Through the bars. Right. That hadn't been invented yet, but I'm sure they would have high fived. <laughs> it, was, it was like probably like a 50s wink. Yeah. Or something. Like 60s. A, oh, a fake, a fake gun. Yeah. That's what they were all about. Uh, right. That's right. Don't be threatened. Yeah. No one's going to get hurt. I mean it. <laughs> And then there was, so it was the three of them that did the escaping, but there was a fourth dude who never uh, made it and who ratted them all out. So this... There's always that dude. Dude, this guy, he doesn't sound super smart. Sorry if he's your relative. (laughs) His name was Alan West, and he had the education of an eighth grader, was born in New York City, and after these three dudes did their escape, he was like, what's up, FBI? I know everything. Like, I'm going to tell you, like, immediately ratted them out. Snitch. Um, So here's here's what happened. So the smarty pants Frank is is our Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, obviously, right. he's sure. not going to play no dummy. <laughs> I'd like to try the dumb guy as a role. Yeah. I think I could dig into it. A really hot dumb guy with his pants up to his <laughs> nipples. High pants dumb guy. Yeah. I'm tired of being a cowboy with a cigar. Right. I want to be dumb for why can't I be dumb? <laughs> So at Alcatraz, there were 12 headcounts a day and uh, prison guards listening to every visitor contact and metal detectors so sensitive that they were once set off by Al Capone's mother's corset lining. Girl. I know. I like to picture that she looks exactly like Al Capone. (laughs) But with a little gray wig. Yes. Finger waves. Definitely. Why don't... (laughs) It doesn't seem like they have that sensitive of metal detectors now. No, they don't. <laughs> the airport should get those. Yeah. But then my corset that I always oh, wear, you my know. corset. Oh, fuck that shit. Okay, so. <laughs> and then uh, they also didn't allow prisoners much exercise at all. So the, the prison was only 1.5 miles offshore, but they were like, we're going to make you have scrawny arms so you wouldn't be able to swim anyways. Oh, mm-hmm. that's kind of smart. So what the, the guys did for their escape, the four men widened the vents in their nine by five foot cells using canteen spoons. So they, they did a count on the canteen knives after every meal, but they didn't count the, those old spoons. Gotta count those spoons. That's right. And you can rip that head off. Shiv. <laughs> you know? And then you just scrape the wall. And the, the prison had been built, like, what year did I say again? It was a long time 1860. ago. 1860. 1868. And so at that point, with all the salt water and all the, you know, elements of, you know, the earth and shit. Uh, <laughs> Wind, fire. fire. Everything was sort of falling apart and crumbling at that point. So they would notice these cracks in the wall and they'd like stick their homemade shiv in there and be like, oh, shiv, I can just... (laughs) Holy shiv, we're getting out of here. That's right. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so 
Um, and then they, uh, they also found discarded saw blades that they had found in the prison grounds, which I feel like should have been picked up by yes. maintenance. Absolutely. What lazy woodworker <laughs> That's right. just threw his saw blades on the ground? <laughs> and they had made a drill out of a broken vacuum cleaner motor, which is like, oh, that's smart. You know what? They earned it. They earned it. There's actually a lot of this story that I'm like, oh, that sounds like a fun show for like HGTV or something. <laughs> I would love that if it's like four college kids. Now you have to skate from Alcatraz, you dumb assholes. That's right. You'll never do it. You can't walk seven feet without your phone. That's right. I'm including myself. I'm including myself. Um, And then, okay, not only is our friend Frank Morris hot and smart, (laughs) this fucker can play the accordion. No. Yeah. How hot is that? (laughs) Yes. Lady of Spain. (laughs) I think that's how it goes, right? I think so. Did they let him have an accordion in jail? They let, there was a music time in jail, you guys. Oh, Alcatraz. I know. But but imagine this. So it was like after dinner and everyone went back to their cell and there'd be just an hour play the fuck whatever you want. But nobody, I don't think anyone was playing the same thing. So it's just this cacophony of fucking... Music and banjos. I'm sure there was a they cello. Keep, someone keeps going five, six, yes. seven, eight. Yeah, seriously, pick it up. We're in G. Jerry, we're in G. Yeah. Spain. The best. So they would use that time of just seizure inducing noise to dig, right? And and the shit. Uh, Wait. But Frank also played the accordion, so he was he at music time, or he was like, oh my god, my finger hurts so bad. <laughs> you play my accordion for me. Well, I think they were like in the same cell block, so he would play it too. I oh, don't know. It, Maybe they it. loved his music so much that they let him play at other hours of the day too. Let's I love just that. say that. Okay. Let's, let's say the guards had a soft spot for the accordion. <gasps> oh, who doesn't? In our, in our movie that we're making yes. about this. Where there's a whole polka, intense polka right. nerd group right. in the warden's right. office. The movie's called Holy Shiv. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, okay. And then they also uh, hid signs by making... They, so they would, they would take the ventilator off and dig and shit. And so they needed... They made paper mache fucking ventilators that they painted in the like art room. I don't know. Uh, the same color. Dep- I think it's called depressing gray. <laughs> And then put the fake paper mache. Like, these guys are creative. They're Martha Stewart. Yes. And I don't think she fucking escaped from prison, did no. she? She stayed. She right. stayed. Remember when that happened? Yeah, she was in the big house. What the fuck? But I heard that she made delicious dinners in the microwave. I'm not kidding. Really? Yes. She, like, started doing a bunch of... <laughs> she, she used her energy in that in, wisely while she was there. Love her. She looks great in gray sweats. <laughs> depressing gray sweats. Yeah. So they made paper mache, ventilation duct grills using magazines from the prison library and paint. Uh, and then um, they also were like, well, we're, they're supposed to be sleeping all night, of course, uh, and so they but, so they need to look like they're in their beds, so they made dummy heads from paper mache using a mixture of soap, toothpaste, the concrete dust that they were fucking used from digging, Smart. and toilet paper, which is just like, that's so creative. No, they're, they were crafty bitches. Yeah. They were Etsy style. If it was today, they would have their own Etsy stores. You know when your friends are like... <laughs> that's right. Right? 
You know when your friends are like, girls night in, like bring your favorite crafting thing and we'll craft together. And they would like sit around and watch Real Housewives or whatever. Yeah. Like that's what they were doing in my mind. I bet they were best, best, best friends. friends. Best friends. Such good friends. When we get out of here, guys, we're going to open our own deli. Deli. <laughs> Next to the Payless Shoe Store. Payless Shoe Store. Damn it. And we're going to have fun. Um, Hold on, can I just say that in my, pretty much the whole um, reason that I wanted to do this is because the picture yeah. of the paper mache head. So they have it, um, There, there's one picture where they have it like basically mocked up of what it looked like every night. I don't know if it exists that way in Alcatraz now, but then yeah. they also have it when they found that they were gone. Mm -hmm. It is the best. Like they really look like real heads. Because they also, they I, I, they must have spent so much time on this. They also got hair clippings from the barber shop <laughs> and made them hair. They even gave them hair eyelashes. So good. Which is unnecessary, so you know they were enjoying it. Like, <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? That's right. That's extra. Eyebrows and lashes are unnecessary. They're like, should I give mine a, just a five o'clock shadow? Yeah. Just, you know, oh, at the Frank. end of the day. Frankie, I think that would look great. I love that. I love that idea. You're really talented. Frank, I love your art, <laughs> and I love your spirit. Thank you. Yes. Okay, so, ba 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 ba, paint hair. Uh, <laughs> they were used them to convince the, the guards that they were sleeping, uh, but they were secretly in the workshop on the cell roof, lock roof, which they accessed through the holes in their cells that they made, and unguarded utility cor corridor and plumbing pipes that they used as steps. So there was this whole like floor above the cells that uh, was just hanging out, ready for action. <laughs> the, the, can I just make one suggestion that? they can't use because it's all ended. Yeah. But <laughs> I got the idea that then once they, because also Clint Eastwood played the bird man of Alcatraz. So mm -hmm. then I was thinking, what if they caught live birds and put them into the shirts <gasps> so that it looked like they were breathing? Oh. I wish I was at Alcatraz. <laughs> okay, anyway, sorry. No, I'm going to think of more craft ideas for these beautiful. guys as we sit here. That's beautiful. Okay, so then their next step was that on the rooftop, they secretly made life jackets. They, they took life jackets, they made them, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> what? So, the only thing that was waterproof at Alcatraz were uh, donated rain coats from the army afterwards. They were like, ship them to Alcatraz. So they got a bunch of the jackets and they made raincoats using, uh, or life jackets by using a six by 14 and the, and they fucking sewed together a life raft. So they, using that. Does that make any sense? <laughs> You're saying they took army jackets and made life jackets and a raft? Yes, because they were uh, waterproof. Wow. Yeah. So someone knew how to sew. Um, Frank. And then here's my, yeah. <laughs> Here's my favorite part, and this is going to come back around. Guess how they fucking uh, blew up the life raft, inflated it. <sighs> okay. The accordion. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> how good is that? How did they do it and not make sound? That's a great question. Or, okay, can I just, here's my idea. I'll yeah. pitch my idea. One of them pretends that his girlfriend broke up with him through a letter uh -huh. and cries really loud every night. Uh -huh. <laughs> 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 That's it. But then they're like, okay, wrap it up. Yeah. You're not that sad. <laughs> they're like, just two more months of this and we'll be all... <laughs> I just have to cleanse the feeling from my system. 
Um, and they make makeshift paddles from scrap wood and stuff. And then, so on the night of June 11th, finally, they're like, this has been so much fun. Let's pretend it was a montage of them crafting shit, you know? Um, adorable. What song would play during the montage of them crafting stuff? You got minute a- by minute. I don't, I'm not sure. Okay. I went Doobie Brothers. I don't know why. Okay. On the night of June 11th, they waited until 9.30, the 9.30 p.m. head count, head count and uh, probably uh, the uh, fairy tale read by the local guard, I'm sure, <laughs> that he read before bed and making And then up. they all got arrested. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Sleep, sweet dreams. Sleep tight. No screaming. <laughs> all night. And then all, but this, our friend West uh, made it to the cell block roof, they they dug out. They went up. West didn't make it because he had widened his air vent opening in his cell wall. Uh, but unlike the others, he had used cement to hold the concrete that was crumbling around his exit hole. And on the night of the escape, he discovered that his cement had set. So he had just made a wall. <laughs> <laughs> he had just basically like fixed the hole. The guard comes by. I was like, "Thank you so much for that. Yeah. That was nice of you." Yeah, um, and yeah, the others had fucking laid by the time he shipped himself out of there. <laughs> so sad. What a bummer, right? Wait for me, guys. Chip, 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 yeah. chip. No, no wonder they told on him. He was probably so mad. Yeah. So, um, from but then the other three accessed the higher roof through a large ventilation shaft that they had just taken out. And uh, the guards did hear a large crash as the men got out of the shaft, but they were like, what? Uh, didn't hear anything else. Went back to their uh, poker game. Poker game. What was the game your mom, your grandma played? Uh, old maid. Old maid. <laughs> All the guards are sitting around with one card uh-huh. pulled up. What will it be? Um, so... They take their homemade raft and the three convicts shimmy down a large pipe to the ground. They cut through the barbed wire at the top of the fence, 12 feet high. And then uh, they inflate their raft, the accordion, and they're in a blind spot. And uh, they, sometime after 10 p.m., they fucking later date off of Alcatraz. (laughs) In a raft made of jackets. Uh Into the dense fog towards Angel Island, two miles to the north. Can you imagine the freezing? It's cold, like, on the street in San Francisco at night. You don't want to get anywhere near that water. Oh, it's so cold. It's so cold. It's so cold. It's so cold, and there's so much goddamn seaweed in there. Yeah. That's what I would, the whole time, if I was in there, I'd just be, something touched my foot. (laughs) I can't get it in here. Frank, calm down. It's seaweed. I hate seaweed. (laughs) And then the other one's like, we could make wonderful crafts out of this seaweed. Let's dry it and hang it and make it into witch's hair. Mm. Easy. You always put a good spin on everything. (laughs) You're Uh, such a good friend. You are. So they were going to, according to Wes, who routed them out, told them that they were going to cross to the mainland, take clothes to replace their prison uniforms, and steal a car and make their getaway. And the FBI are like, oh, shit. Because A, it's like prisoners escaping, even though they're toy gun users still. And also it's going to make them look really fucking stupid if they can actually escape. So um, on June 14th... the whole point of Alcatraz. Right. You don't. Right. 
On June 14th, three days after the escape, the Coast Guard picked up a paddle floating about 200 yards off the southern shore of Angel Island. And on the same Dane's general location, workers on another boat found a wallet wrapped in plastic containing names, addresses, and photos of the um, angel angle of the brothers. The brothers. Um, friends and relatives. So they One's find named Clarence. I do remember yeah. that. Yeah. I put it here on purpose. Clarence and John. Yeah, there it is. Um, so, so they find little things that they probably would have needed. You know what I mean? So they're like, they're probably dead. And we don't fucking know if they are or not to this day, which is so fun, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think they are. And I think <laughs> it's your dad. <laughs> he just he just kind of rinsed off and then went right over to the fire department. He was like, you got any openings here? I can grow a mustache real fast. Steroids will do that. Yeah, right. that's right. All the steroid use. Yeah. So basically, circumstantial evidence uncovered in the early 2010s seemed to suggest that they actually survived. Mm. A, raft, a raft was discovered nearby on Angel Island with footprints leading away. Exciting. That's great And a news. car uh, would have been stolen on the night of the escape. So, uh, and someone said that a car was, was stolen by three men the night of the escape. Love it. What other three men are stealing cars? <laughs> what are the odds? On that night. No, there's nothing on Angel Island. <laughs> yeah. Who would do it? It's our guys. It's definitely our guys. Um, and conspiracy theorists say, you know them, they like to talk. Uh, they say that there was a police cover-up because they didn't want to admit that, you know, they got duped or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and there have been several reportings, reported sightings of the three men over the year, and some of them are discounted. Some are taken serious. Family members of the brothers occasionally got unsigned postcards and messages over the years, mm -hmm. which is so cute. They um, did. They did it. They made it. I know. Once a card came signed Jerry and another Jerry and Joe. God bless you. Uh, Scream, sneezer, motherfucker. <laughs> so loud. The family also sh showed everyone uh, a Christmas card that they allegedly received in the family mailbox in 1962 saying, to mother from John, Merry Christmas. Aww. <laughs> what if they were Jewish? Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> <laughs> That's their inside joke. Yeah, yeah. And the brother's mother received flowers anonymously every Mother's Day until her death. Aww. You guys. They're and good people. They're good people forced into a bad situation. I feel like at that point, it's like, if they could get off in the most creative, clever montage way I've ever heard of, they, and they are not in there for like hurting anyone, let those fuckers live they their lives. It. Also, just... They yeah. swam the bay. They yeah. swam the bay. They swam the bay. They were going to open a nice deli. Let's just let them a deli. Let, let them live. That's right. Let them craft. Exactly. <laughs> and at their mother's funeral, two very tall uh, women, unusually tall women, oh. in heavy makeup. What? That's me. I mean, look. <laughs> that's not weird. That's right. We're everywhere. Yeah. And so. tall back then was like 5'5". Five, five, yeah, exactly. was like teeny. Jesus Christ, she's 5'8". <laughs> yeah. uh, showed up to the fucking funeral, which I love. And, um, and then they latered. One of the siblings also said that when their father died in 1989, two strangers in probably fake-looking beards showed up. Crafted beards. Oh, what if... In that one, they crafted like a, a Orthodox Jewish, yeah. you know, with the pace and yeah. the... The whole thing where people are like, we'd never suspect two Orthodox yeah. Jews here at this funeral. Of a strict Catholic. Uh -huh. 
they showed up and wept over the casket into their beards and then, oh. and then snuck off. So it, t- it was them, you guys. Yes. Um, and then in 2015, a letter allegedly written by one of the escapees came to light. It said, my name is John Anglin. I escaped from Alcatraz in June 1962. It's like, how much more proof do you fucking need? Um, <laughs> with my brother Clarence and Frank Morris, I'm 83 years old and in bad shape. I have cancer. Yes, we all made it that night, but barely. The FBI says this piece of evidence forced the agency to reopen its cold case. What if they threw him back in prison? How mad would we all be? I mean... Um, According to the letter, Frank died in 2008, and John's brother died three years later. The writer makes a deal. If you announce on TV that I will be promised to first go to jail for no more than a year and get medical attention, I will write back to let you know exactly where I am. This is no joke. Oh, did... What happened? Uh, The writer of the letter says he spent many years after his escape from Alcatraz living in... San Jose. <laughs> no, that was a good guess. Oh. I mean, Seattle. Seattle? Yeah, which is like, cool, okay. Uh, they started r- grunge rock? Yeah. Cool. Yes! <laughs> it's Eddie about her. But then he says that... <laughs> Uh, then he says that he currently lives in Southern California, so we could know him. Oh my God! He could be our friend, you know, our friend that we hang oh out God, with. It's, it's it's that guy from the crafting store. Yes. <gasps> what if he got a job at Joanne's? <laughs> that old crabby man that helps me at Joanne's. Yeah. Or Joanne's singular. Just, what if he's like still wet with seawater and has like still has seaweed <laughs> over flung over his shoulder? It's like how oh, we never figured this out. There's just a fucking got- seagull perched on his shoulder. <laughs> This guy helped me. I would have never made it without Gary. <laughs> oh my God. He's going to befriend a seagull in our movie for sure. Me and Gary. Okay. Stay away. What? You're helping me? Oh. It's like right as he's going to drown. Oh. And then the seagull's like, no, I thought you had potato chips. <laughs> Fine. I'll help you since I'm here. Um, if the men were alive today, Frank, I just spit you, sorry. That's Frank okay. would be 90 years old and John and, and Clarence would be 86 and 87. Um, but nothing ever came of that. Or maybe it did, and I just didn't look hard enough. <laughs> now that's your job to end the story yourself <laughs> later tonight. That's how we did it. Look, there's a restaurant here that has a beignet flight. I couldn't miss it. <laughs> What's up, Brenda's? So good. Okay. The only proven case of an Alcatraz inmate ever reaching shore by swimming happened on December 16th, 1962 by an inmate named John Paul Scott. Successfully swam the distance of 3.1 miles from Alcatraz to Fort Point. Some fucking shitty teenagers found him and... Uh, turned him in. Oh. <laughs> but he was suffering from hypothermia and exhaustion, and he was immediately returned to Alcatraz. But he fucking made it. He made it. And uh, now it's done all the time as, like, fun for some of you <laughs> psychopaths. Disgusting lunatics. What the hell? Ugh. Today, athletes swim the same Alcatraz Fort Point route as part of one of two annual triathlon events. Have you guys heard of naps? I mean... Jesus Christ! Also, and brunch? Bagels? Bagels! Brunch! Therapy! Therapy! <laughs> get out of the bay! Yeah, get out of that water. <laughs> Anyways, <sighs> that's the story of the escape from Alcatraz. Yes, that was awesome. That was really good. Thank you. Do we have time for our hometown? I think we do. Okay. Let's do it. 
okay. Oh my God. Here's the thing is, now this is the part where I tell you the rules of, this is the part where we get, call someone up from the audience to tell their hometown murder. Um, and this is the part where then I tell you what the rules are to qualify for doing your hometown and then murder. you ignore them. And then everyone always ignores them. Fine. <laughs> Do what you want. Be punk rock. Last night, a girl got on stage. Heidi. And I was like, please let it be local. We're here in Oakland. It'd be great to hear something out of Oakland or anything Northern nearby. Northern California would be great. And she comes up. She's like, I'm from Bakersfield. And I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, here we go. But she then proceeds to tell the most nutso lunatic story that was so hilarious and great and of the rules. So we'll walk through what the rules are. We want it to be local. No, she said no. Bakersfield. <laughs> It has to be quick. It wasn't the quickest story we've ever heard, although no. it was very engaging. Yeah. Um, we, uh, you need to have a beginning, a middle, and end. We always love to know what, ha what really happened, so there's like a little bit of a button at the end. She basically tells a story <laughs> like someone, I can't even do it. It was like somebody chasing her father and breaking into her house. And then Merle and Haggard the, was involved. It was Merle Haggard's reason. old house. Their pool was shaped like a guitar. Jesus. It went on and on. It was yeah. insanity. But it was amazing. Somebody drove through the really long drive because it was like out on a farm. Somebody busted through their gate and was driving up with their headlights on high. And then the dad was like, take this gun and you take this gun and put all this stuff. She ran upstairs and then she just goes, they never caught him. Thanks. And we were like, whoa, what? Anyways. Hilarious. We're giving her a podcast. Yeah, uh, she's the greatest. And we say, don't be too drunk that you can't remember your story. Yeah. Also, remember that if you get picked, everyone hates you. So you have to yeah. go fast. And this time, so I have to wait to pick from the back unless, yeah, no one's going to climb on this stage. Back right. Back right. So I saw Vince back there. Uh, let's, can we get the lights up, please, so we can see this beautiful Lego land in all, all its glory? And that's a flat no. Uh, oh, look it. Oh, it just takes a moment. I don't because know. Because this is legit. Karen, can you see anything? I can't see shit. The two of you, but yeah, with your holding her wrist, yeah, yeah. Send her to send her to Vince back there, back that way. Go back, Turn around back, and back, run to the back. exit. Here. Oh, here they are! Oh my God, that was so fast. Hey. Hey, what's your name? Lauren. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Hi, come this here. is Lauren, everybody. Lauren. Come here. Stand there. That was quite a journey you made to get over here. It was here. really fast. Jeez, I should have worked out before this. <laughs> no. Don't be crazy. I'm told I have to make this quick. So. Where are you from? <laughs> oh, I'm from actually Saratoga, which is right near San Jose. Yay! San Jose! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew it was going to be such a hot topic this evening? I it know. never is. We didn't. <laughs> it never is. <laughs> well, the school that I went through was a K-12 former military academy. I'm sure some of you who are local can figure out which one it was. Oh. But there was this really nasty college counselor. And I feel very <gasps> bad speaking ill of the dead, but here it goes. Okay. <laughs> Kind of the theme she of the show. <laughs> literally told people who would go in with their top picks of college, I want to go here, 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 and here. And she said, You have a better chance of getting struck by lightning than getting into any of these schools. <laughs> you know, when you're 17, 16 years old, that's really uplifting. Yeah, so yeah. she did the same thing to me. I was not too thrilled, but I mean, we move on. Yeah. And I heard more stories because my brother went through with her the whole nine yards, and it was just a disaster. So I'm in college, and I get a call the from college my, you wanted to go to? Um, I went to USC, so okay. yes. <laughs> Um, yes. University of Santa Clara. <laughs> yes. Right? Correct. The fighting. Piccolo. Piccolo. <laughs> it's the toughest team in the 
Pac-10 conference. Oh, yes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Nailed it. Right? Nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. So I get a call from one of my best girlfriends, and she goes, you are never going to believe what just happened. And I was like, well, okay, tell me everything. I want all the details. And she said, well, we just found out that there was a, a murder, hom- a murder-suicide at home. And instantly, I start going through all the people that I know back home. I'm like, oh, my God, who, who died? My year was right before the recession, as we all remember that very fondly. Uh-huh. My college counselor, she had bragged about that she was going to retire, and I was her last class. So I guess when the economy crashed, her husband didn't really plan financially very well, and she blamed him, and for two, three years was nagging, nagging, complaining that she still had to work. So one day, he woke up, shot her in the head, and then tried to kill himself. It didn't work. Oh, no. So he had to go to the hospital, and he held on for maybe five, six hours more, but that was it, and that was the end of this very horrible woman, and oh, so sad. She's laughing as she says, it's so sad. <laughs> I can feel, when I hug her, I can feel her little hummingbird heart. It's, so it's This is hard. It's terrifying. It's really Come hard. Up here. You guys will see. Um, San Francisco. <sighs> you thank guys, you. thank you so much. special place in both of our hearts so it's so nice to come back here and not have to wait tables or work at the gap and actually I didn't have a shit ton of friends when I was here I think that one of them is here we're live journal friends uh, we were so to come here and have a theater full of like our friends and you guys are here for us it means so much to us thank you so much for supporting us and I would just like to say um, you know I I started stand-up comedy here <laughs> um, and did it while I lived here I did it for two years it's uh, you know my lifelong dream and uh, that sounded sarcastic but I meant it I think because I meant it I had to say it with a tone um, while I lived here <laughs> while I was doing stand-up here one time my dad who was also at work one night he just brought Station 2, Chinatown Station 2, came down to the improv at <laughs> right on Mason, uh, and they pretended that they were doing a fire inspection, and they all just stood in the back of the room so my dad could watch me do stand-up comedy. And isn't that the best? Sweetest. It's really funny. And then it was a showcase night, so it was a bunch of local comics, and it was like... Patton Oswalt was here, Dana Gould was here, Mark Barron lived here and was doing comedy, um, you know, David Cross came up for a while, I think Janine Garofalo may have been in town, it was like star-studded, and after the show, my dad said, that was a great show, you know who my favorite comic is? Ron Lynch. <laughs> I was just like, Dad, I was on the show. Yeah. I, mean, I was a choice, you could have picked me. <laughs> so, it's an honor that I get to perform for my father in San Francisco in a situation, well, let me just say it, in a situation where you guys have created this this wonder of a podcast hit. You guys gave this to us. Uh-huh. You did. Oh, yeah. So thank you for letting us be here tonight. It's amazing. Thank you. We don't 
get it. We don't know what's going on most of the time. This is super crazy, but we're having the best time and we're so, so grateful. And we love the community that you guys are creating and the friendships that you are having together and the meetups and the charity that you're giving to. It's incredibly beautiful, especially at such a dark time in this country. You guys are really bringing a light and keep doing it. It's really important. Yeah. We're honored to be a part of it. We love being murderinos. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Thank you for everything and yeah. stay sexy. And Bye San Francisco. <laughs>